Hello and welcome back to That's Debatable. I'm Miles. And I'm Creed. So today's actually the first time that we're going to be recording in person. Up to now, it's been all in Zoom. And so I'm really excited to get this started. Today, we're going to be debating whether or not commercial space tourism is a good idea or not. Uh, you've probably heard about like Elon Musk's the inspiration for flight along with Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin flight and the Richard Branson's uh, Virgin Intergalactic flight. And so all of these kind of go along with the topic. Yeah, and so for this uh, talk, I'm going to be taking the side that commercial travel for space is a good thing and it's helpful, and the Miles is going to be taking the side that's against that. And uh, once again, uh, these do not necessarily reflect our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. All we're trying to do is bring you information from both sides to let you make up your mind on what you believe is true. All right, so to get this started, one of the really good things about space travel is that it will help uh, astronauts and other companies focused on space learn a lot more about uh, living things interacting with zero gravity or increased gravity on takeoffs and landings. For this, a lot of it is people who are willing to pay massive amounts of money. They're funding a lot of this research. Uh, there are also many people who have done this are willing to participate in this research as maybe a subject in a sense of, you know, testing for how do humans interact in zero gravity or other things like that. So that's another, that, that's one really good thing about spaceflight is it uh, increases a lot of the knowledge about how humans and other living things can interact with space. Yeah, so as you were saying, um, this research is, can be good for getting more test subjects for these things, but I think that comes with a lot of risk because as Creed was saying, you don't, we don't know all of like the ramifications that space has on people and that it could be really dangerous. And so it is a bit questionable for commercial uh, businesses to be investing in this and when they, their interests might not be purely scientific. Yeah, that's another thing that many people are concerned about. But overall, it's going to benefit, all this information is going to benefit uh, space programs around the world that are government-based. And so that's information that anyone of those government bases could use and that's going to be helpful for just overall um, knowledge and also if we never if we never start how are we going to get to the end goal of a clean healthy good way of space travel so that's one thing that's really interesting is you know we have to start from somewhere we have to start with uncertainty to get to a point where we know we can go into space and have it all under control I think it might be more ethical if we had people like NASA and scientists doing these experiments rather than like the businesses, because with businesses, I feel like you can't really trust them all the time, like to make the safest decisions. Like they're trying to make a profit at the end of the day. And so they might cut corners when it comes to cost. And that and the cost of that could be human lives or danger to humans. Yeah. But another thing with cutting corners is that these uh, space flights are so, so, so much of a big deal. And there's a lot of concerns about them anyways that as soon as you cut corners with spaceflight, there's bound to be an issue to come up. So that means increased delays, which means more money down the drain. It means maybe something going completely wrong on a flight, which means you lose publicity, you lose funding, you also lose some good information that you could have had. So that's why many of these companies are pretty scared to cut corners. And also many of them, like SpaceX, is working alongside NASA. So that's another thing that's really interesting too. So as a rebuttal to that, I'll read an 
an excerpt from an article by space.com. It says, Northern Sky Research predicts that the number of space tourism flights will skyrocket over the next decade from maybe 10 a year in the near future to 360 a year by 2030, Kasa said. This estimate is still far below the growth rate that space tourism companies like Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin envisioned for themselves. So I guess what I'm trying to say is even if uh, they aren't cutting corners and they're doing their due diligence, if you have like up to 360 flights a year within the next 10 years, that still poses a lot of risk. One of those risks is that about 3.2% of astronauts that have attempted to go to space have died in the process. And while this does include old statistics from like the 1960s and 70s, we still don't have enough of a sample size to be able to say that this is definitely safe, especially for people who are not astronauts. Yeah, that's definitely a concern that many people have. But the last uh, space flight that had any fatalities on it was the Challenger in 2003. And before that, there were only four others. Um, since we have started spaceflight, I guess, in, from the beginning, uh, only 15 astronauts astronauts, and four cosmonauts have died from spaceflight in total, with about uh, 30 total fatalities in incidents regarding spaceflight. Even, even though there has been many people who have uh, lost their lives because of this, in recent years, it has gone down quite a bit. Um, since 2001, there have been 114 manned spaceflights 113 of those have been successful without any fatalities. The only one that was unsuccessful was a 2003's Challenger. And so in recent years, we've seen a lot more growth in how all of these space flights are handled, and it's become a lot safer for people to go on flights, um, especially with the newest one, the Inspiration4, where it was all civilians who were on the space flight. Yeah, well, this may be true for uh, organizations like NASA or SpaceX. I think that Virgin Intergalactic or Blue Origin, this is their first time, or at least their first major time, like sending people to space and getting heavily involved in this industry. And so I think that there could be like a learning curve. But another thing that's uh, a difference between SpaceX, NASA, and then Blue Origins and Virgin Galactic is that Virgin Galactic and Blue Origins are mainly focused on actual travel, whereas SpaceX and NASA are more focused on working together to reach the moon and other things like that. So for for the Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin, they aren't really going far out into space. What they're doing is they're staying in a lower area so that they don't go as high up. And then you only get about five minutes of weightlessness, whereas compared to SpaceX and NASA, you're in space completely for quite a while. So that's another thing is that they aren't really pushing the boundaries too much at this stage and other companies might be willing to share information to help them progress so that there are much safer flights in the future. This is kind of off topic, but I find it kind of weird that someone would pay $250,000 just for 10 minutes in space. I think someone paid about $28 million, actually. Wow. There was a massive bid to get on this flight. Um, there was an 18-year-old was on one of the flights and there's an 82 year old so they both set uh, new records for the oldest and youngest people in space wow yeah so if we uh somehow got like 30 million bucks we could be the young new youngest in space <laughs> yeah and i know there are flights where there are planes where they'll send you into free fall by like going super high and then dropping you and those can also simulate the feeling of weightlessness 
Yeah. And I think that would probably be a lot cheaper. Yeah, it is. But um, that's actually what a lot of space companies have used originally for uh, gravitational research with uh, microgravity or ex like extra G-forces. Um, but what happens with these new space flights uh, with space travel is that they'll be in the air for much longer and it won't be they won't be confined to the limits of the plane. So they'll be able to actually test for longer periods of time the effects on living things or even non-living things within space. Another concern I'd want to bring up is the effect of commercial space tourism on the environment. So there's a lot of unknowns when it comes to this subject because usually pollution isn't let off at the level, at the atmospheric level that it is when you launch rockets into space. Usually pollution is released into the lower levels of the atmosphere, so we don't know what this could cause. A lot of people are speculating that it could do damage to the ozone layer, which has just recently been repaired. And so it's, it's just a big danger. Yeah, so that is definitely a concern. And many companies have been working on creating better fuels. Um, and actually, many European companies especially have been working on creating new fuels that were, will reduce the CO2 emissions. Um, but... Another difference that I've noticed is that rockets currently are only responsible for about 1%, less than 1% of total ozone de depletion that is related to human causes, whereas airplanes are related to about 4% of that. Now, airplanes do, there are many, many more airplane flights compared to uh, rocket flights, but if those rocket flight numbers still stay low, or if they do increase, but new types of fuels come in, that's going to really help decrease the amount of ozone depletion that rockets will cause. Uh, another interesting thing, liquid fuel has been proven to be a lot cleaner than solid fuels as in the past, uh, which has helped reduce many carbon uh, emissions. Some other things I, that they do have to work on is certain metals being released in suit uh, from the spaceships. So once that all is solved, or not necessarily solved, but reduced and understood on how to manage, then that's really going to help increase the amount of space flight that there can be. It's going to help lower the cost too. Yeah, I know that Blue Origin's source of fuel is much better for the environment than Virgin Galactic's. A single Virgin Galactic suborbital space tourism flight that lasts about an hour and a half generates as much pollution as a 10-hour transatlantic flight. And so if you think about having like 300 plus of those a year that could do a lot of damage to the environment in ways that we couldn't even understand yet. Yeah, definitely. And so I think that's, you know, it is very important to make sure that the climate does not get any worse. But with the resources that we have, we don't know enough. So if we're able to learn more just from a couple more flights, then that might be able to actually help us solve and come up with better solutions for the future and create a better pathway for clean energy for everyone, possibly, not just spaceflight. Another sentiment that I see that's pretty prominent is that this industry is only for the rich and the billionaires. And a lot of people are claiming that it's just a waste of money and it's just billionaires having privileges that no one else gets to have. Um, so that's, that is definitely a concern, but these companies... No one's really going to be able to do much space travel if they don't have many people to do it. They, they don't have many customers. So they're wanting to increase the amount of people that can fly. Uh, currently, as you said, tickets are around $250,000. Uh, 
About 8,000 people have signed up so far for a space flight. But if that number keeps going down uh, for the expenses, more and more people are going to be able to afford an amazing experience like that. And it still will probably be much more expensive than an airplane, but that's because the travel time will be a lot less and you'll get an experience of microgravity that you couldn't get anywhere else. Increased space travel will also help uh, lower the cost for sending things into space, as in satellites, uh, nanosatellites, uh, spaceships, and other, you know, non-manned spaceships into space. So that's another really great thing that will come out of space travel or increased space travel. So you're saying that by doing this, this will actually increase our ability to travel space in the future? Yeah, by, in by increasing these things right now, we'll be able to make sure that we have safer things in the future or safer precautions or, under or better understanding for how we can do this in the future. Well, more general question I would ask is, is it really worth it to be spending all this investment in space? And are there better uses that we could be putting our money towards? It, it seems like it, it could just be a waste of money. Yeah, uh, that is definitely a concern. Um, but space is, you know, many people have called it the final frontier. Uh, you know, no kid really goes without a dream of, I want to go to space. Every kid pretty much wants to be an astronaut or at least have been in space when they hear about it. So it's part of its human nature, curiosity of wanting to go places people have never gone before. Um, another thing is that it's really going to help decrease travel times. It's going to, you know, create these new opportunities for people who could never have gone before. I mean, being an astronaut was a very selective thing. And now with space travel, it's going to be opened up to more people, starting off with people who are richer because they'll be able to help fund more and also pay more for the experience. But as time progresses and maybe we get to the, you know, fifth, tenth stage of space flight, it's going to be open to hopefully everybody uh, so that people will be able to see the view of the entire world and, you know, instead of just a plane or you know, every astronaut that has seen the world has come back saying that their view of Earth and life has completely changed. And so if this experience could be true for everyone, that would be an amazing thing. So is space travel, as you see it, more of a recreational activity than an like a educational or actually helpful activity? Well, obviously, there's recreational aspects to it. Like everybody you know, wants to see it. But there is, as I went through earlier, there are the uh, educational uh, parts to it with, you know, starting off like learning how, how are people affected by this. It's also kind of like, if you think about it, it could become the plane of the future. Right now, many people get on planes and no one thinks about the educational part. They just think of it, I have to go from point A to point B, this is the fastest way. And so space travel can do that, and that's going to increase the amount of uh, people or amount of locations people can go in a short amount of time. Um, with space travel being up to 30 times faster, faster um, you know, Virgin Galactic Spaceship 2 is actually trying to do that right now, uh, saying, stating that they will let passengers experience microgravity for extended amounts of time and that they will make travel up to 30 times faster. Again, I would say, what does going to Mars actually get us? I would say not much more than just good feelings. And convenience of getting somewhere faster is not necessarily necessary. <laughs> it's just kind of a luxury that we can have. And it, yeah, it would be great. But is it really worth it? And I think that just by pursuing this like space tourism uh, more, it will just damage the climate more, maybe to an irreparable degree. 
there was a stat put out by the World Health Organization that one in eight deaths are caused globally by air pollution. And globally, the individuals that are in the richest 1% are responsible for uh, 175 times more greenhouse gas pollution than the average person in the bottom 10%. And so I think it's maybe not the greatest idea to be continuing to support these billionaires in all of their ventures. And I think that if we put the money instead into better causes like repairing the environment, that it would go a much longer way. That makes sense. Conserving the climate is definitely something we want to do. But then it also raises the question, uh, well, what if we, instead of focusing on the thing that causes currently a little less than 1% of CO2 pollution, what if we focus then on things that are uh, do- causing more pers- more of that? So cars, airplanes, factories, that sort of thing. And many of these billionaires uh, who have these space venture um, companies are actually working on reducing those CO2 emissions, uh, like Jeff Bezos with Amazon and reducing, you know, creating new things uh, for Amazon uh, to have better fueled cars or just completely all around electric vehicles. I understand that, but still the stat still holds that the richest 1% are responsible for 175 times more than greenhouse gas pollution. That was fast. But yeah, I I just think that there's definitely a lot more that they could be doing. And I think that they're responsible for most of the problems that we've had in terms of air pollution. Yeah. Well, how about this? What if they are already helping solve these issues? What if they're solving for that 175 times more? And then what if they decide with that extra money that they have left over because, you know, billionaires tend to have insane amounts of money left over, uh, then what if they decide to do this? I mean, it's not their job to fix problems. It's their money that they've earned. They should be able to use it however they want. That's kind of the idea that many people who support this side are saying. Um, So I think that's something we have to look at too is we aren't necessarily, um, they, they don't owe us their money. That, that's basically what it comes down to. So if they fix their own problems and maybe they help with other things too, then shouldn't they be able to use their money how they want? Except they haven't been solving their own problems for the most part. So I think the world had a goal to reach net zero carbon emissions by 2050. And as of now, we're nowhere close to hitting that target. And that's large in part due to the, like the industry and the billionaires. I think when we get down to that point, it's more of an issue with how the billionaires use their money, fund their operations, and what sort of operations they are funding over than the actual space flight. Um, because, you know, space flight currently adds about a couple kilotons of carbon a year, whereas airplanes add several hundred kilotons a year. So... If we really wanted to focus more on solving this problem, we'd be focusing on the things that are currently causing a bigger issue um, in spaceflight for the next couple of years isn't going, you know, it's probably, it's going to increase and it's going to open up to a lot more people, but it's probably not going to increase to the point as airplanes are currently. And so if we're able to solve the airplane car problem, factory problem first, then we'll be able to use that to help solve and reduce the problems with rockets in the future. And with the you know, studies that are being done on fuels for rockets funded by these companies. um, That's also going to help a lot with figuring out how to reduce these carbon emissions too. Yeah. And as I said before, 
I think that there's a lot of information that we don't know about emitting um, emissions from <laughs> such a high altitude and what that could do to the ozone layer in particular. So that's about going to wrap it up for our show. You can listen to That's Debatable Thursday at 7 a.m. and on Spotify. Yeah, and we just wanted to talk again about how uh, what we're saying in these episodes, we're just trying to bring to you both sides of the situation. We're trying to take on those characters of you know these sides. They don't necessarily reflect our own beliefs and what we think about these issues, and it doesn't necessarily reflect it doesn't reflect on KMIH's beliefs either. So, uh, all we're trying to do is bring you both sides, and we want you to make the decision on what you believe is true from these conversations. You can also contact us at 206-275-9104 to give us at That's Debatable some good show ideas, any comments, or anything interesting you thought about our conversation, or if you had anything to add, uh, please let us know. You can text us there, and we'll try to talk about that in our next episodes. And make sure to keep listening to KMIH 88.9 The Bridge for more music and conversation that spans generations. And we'll see you next week.